Welcome to Slaughterhouse Stories. I hope you enjoy the stories I have for you tonight. Hello to all you things that go bump in the night. Hello to all you humans as well. Welcome to the show that brings you creepypastas, short scary stories, and dark horror themed poetry from all across the world. This is the Slaughterhouse Stories Podcast, Episode 45, The Dollmaker. I'm your host and narrator, Ghost Train, telling you to lock your doors, get under your blanket, and keep the lights on. You can find the links to my socials in the show notes. Come, discuss all things spooky with me. And if you'd like to write in and have your email right on the show, email slaughterhousestoriespodcast at gmail.com with creepypasta requests, stories you've written, or your own real-life paranormal encounters. Before we get to tonight's first story, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you're enjoying the show, please head over and leave a review through iTunes and help spread the word to your friends family, the toy maker who's eyeing up your body, whomever, tell them, be a listener, not a victim. Now, let's get spooky. Tonight, we will begin the night and end the night with stories by the same author, Jay Duchenne. I didn't intend to do that, but the stories I found and loved just happened to be stories written by her. The first story tonight is about a man, a thief, Someone who preys upon the innocent and takes their things for his own gain. I know, it may not sound very scary, but you see, he's just taking advantage. It's a crime of opportunity. How he gets those opportunities, that's where the spooky side comes in. So settle in, get your crosses in holy water, and find out what is truly going on and enjoy. I break into houses. I know my place in society. I'm a lowlife. Scum. The kind of fucker that makes you think twice about going for a walk at night. I've always been this way. And holy shit, may I never change. I like it. It's fun for me. I know how to make it work. Play the game. Stay alive. It was a warm Friday night. I lay in wait outside the kitchen window of a nice suburban two-story. These people had money, no doubt about it. I kept myself well concealed as I peeked in at the stacked blonde inside. Even in a long-sleeved sweater, she looked like she was doing a porn shoot as she leaned against the counter and sipped from a steaming cup. That's right, bitch, I thought. Relax, you have no idea what's coming. The doorbell rang and the blonde stiffened. The confused look on her face said it all. She wasn't expecting visitors. The second ring came and I could see the confusion turn to anxiety. She left the kitchen and I followed, running from shadow to shadow, until I made my way fully around the front of the house. There, still out of sight, I listened. The door opened. Can I help you? Yes, said the man on the porch. 
My car broke down just up the road. My phone has no power. I was hoping I could come in and use yours. His voice was low and even. Unconvincing as fuck. Believe me, I know all the tricks and how to use them. If the blonde fell for this shit, she deserved whatever was coming to her. Um, she began to stutter. I, I don't... I had to stifle a laugh. It sounded like she was about to give him the I don't have a phone line. Which of course is bullshit. Everyone has a phone. It's not 1873. Please miss. Came the low, almost monotone voice again. I won't be long. I promise. I'm sorry, the woman said at last. Then I heard the door slam. And that was that. Nice try, dude, I thought. I followed the sound of the woman's footsteps back to the kitchen window. She quickly picked up her cup, flicked off the lights, and exited. From my hiding spot, I could see her through the kitchen doorway as she ascended the stairs and disappeared into the darkness. I let some time pass, which was difficult. I was ready and itching. At last, when I felt like the timing was right, I set to work. The lock on that kitchen door never had a chance. These shitty locks are everywhere, and people think they're safe. It's amazing more people don't get robbed or murdered. Quiet as a mouse with bad intentions, I moved from the kitchen and into the home's foyer. Even in the dark, I could see that it was filled with a kind of classic charm. In my experience, that meant there was money to be made. I was practically salivating as I imagined the payout. My gaze landed on the staircase. I allowed my eyes to follow it upward. What was she doing now? Sleeping, reading, bathing, perhaps enjoying some alone time. I licked my lips and lingered so long in the thought that I nearly forgot myself. No shit, I said to myself, and I found my way to the front door. I opened it and there he was, the boss. His pitch black eyes stared out at me from beneath his hood. I like working for him. He lets me keep in profit from whatever I find. But so help me, I don't think I'll ever get used to those eyes. What took you so long? He said in a whisper, his voice still unnaturally even. You've kept me waiting. You know I like to make sure the coast is clear. I whispered back. He cocked his head. And you know I can't come in unless I'm invited. I rolled my eyes. You know, if you worked in your presentation, you might get invited in on your own more often, I said. His lips curled into an eerie smile that never quite reached his eyes. I felt a chill run up my spine at the sight of it. But then, you'd be out of a job, he said. True, I managed. In any case, won't you come in? I stepped aside and allowed him passage. As he moved past me, his whole demeanor warmed. His shoulders hunched slightly. He brought his hands together in front of him. I saw a familiar glint in his cold black eyes. The glint of hunger. Another chill washed over me. Upstairs, he guessed. Yes, I said. He smiled again. This time, it was broad and genuine, revealing the long, sharp fangs that had descended on either side of his mouth. Delicious, he said, and glided up the stairs into the darkness. I tried to ignore the woman's screams as I searched through whatever drawers and cupboards I could find on the ground floor. He was tough though. It sounded like this was a particularly brutal one, and the boss is usually so efficient. I'm guessing she fought. Poor dumb bitch.
Nothing like a hungry vampire to help you make some money. And what a partnership they have. This is one fleshbag I can approve of. Way to be on our side, human. Way to go, buddy. As for you other humans, if you haven't already been drunk dry by a hungry fiend, I will move us to the next story. This one is about a student who finds herself in a new school. A school that has a haunting little secret. Rumors run rampant, but no one can say for sure who or what this haunting is. They just know it's always been there. And it's completely harmless. But is it really harmless? Turn your lights off and try to stay safe while you listen to The Girl in the Window. New year, new school. It's really nothing new for me. My family moves a lot. The school itself seems pretty normal, as do all the students and teachers. Or, so I thought. You see, there's this one hallway. It's got the library and a few hardly used classrooms in it. It always makes me feel really uncomfortable. Even before I start hearing the rumors about it, I always try to shake the feeling off and tell myself I'm just being paranoid. Until, of course... One of the most popular rumors ends up being true. There's a girl who you can sometimes see staring out into the hallway from the window in the library's door. No one knows who she is, but there are about as many different theories as there are people in the school. The first time I see her, I nearly have a heart attack. She's exactly like people describe her. A blonde girl wearing a hoodie with the hood pulled up, shadowing her eyes and the whole upper half of her face completely. The lower half of her face suggests an expressionless stare aimed straight at the wall across from her, but I can still feel her eyes burning holes through my skin. A shudder runs through my whole body, and I hurry to my next class. Weeks later, and I've gotten used to seeing her, she's got no effect on me anymore, and I don't even remember she's there most of the time. She also hasn't budged an inch since the first time I've seen her, and I'm convinced she's completely harmless. So now I'm on my way to my next class, and I happen to be passing through her hallway. Won't you join me? Hardly anyone ever goes down this hallway, unless their next class is on it. So I jump a little and turn around, hoping to see who it is. No one's there except the girl in the window. So I shake it off as my imagination, and continue walking. I'm so lonely. I turn around again. Still no one. Only now. The girl in the window's lips are twisted into a toothy smile. I feel the hair on the back of my neck stand up, but I try to continue to my next class. Where are you going? The voice is beginning to sound slightly annoyed with me. I walk up to the library door and look the girl in the window dead into where I think her eyes are. What do you want? I demand, slamming the side of my fist against the window. It's lonely in here. Won't you join me? Just then, I hear a teacher's voice behind me. Get to your next class, young lady. I spin around and glare at the teacher for a second before I start walking down the hallway. He heads back to his classroom and I creep back to the library window. She's still there, still smiling. Come on, she says. We can be friends. I'd rather die. I snap, regretting it instantly because she could probably arrange that. No, you wouldn't. Her voice has become almost a growl. She raises her hands to the window, 
and I'm surprised to see them actually go through it and grab my wrist. Come here. Join me. Join me. Join me. With every sentence, she jerks my arm towards her, pulling harder each time. Join me. Join me. Join me. Her hood falls back, revealing black hollows where her eyes ought to be. I let out a scream and pull against her as hard as I can. Stop fighting. Join me. Join me. Join me. At this point, she sounds almost like a dying cat, and her voice only becomes more horrifying as she repeats her words. Come on. Quit fighting. I continue screaming and pulling myself away with all my strength, but everything goes black before I can break free. When the darkness fades, I find myself standing in the library, looking at the window of the hallway. I can't seem to leave my spot, and I have little desire to for some reason. Over the next few hours, a handful of kids make their way past the library. None seem to notice me, except for one blonde girl with dark eyes who stops and looks at me. Her lips curl up into a twisted smile. Another ghost successfully robs a human of life and takes it for themselves. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what you call a hero. I guess I should give that a shot eventually. Try and steal some life away from some human who doesn't need it. But then again, I do love being the spooky motherfucker. So, maybe not yet. What I will do, however, is give you this week's recommendation. This week, just to go along with the first story we had, I'm going to recommend the novel Dracula by Bram Stoker. Introducing the world to Vlad the Impaler, one of my heroes, who will go on to become the most famous vampire in the world. This is the book that basically started the pop culture vampire craze that has never ended. Almost everyone should know what this book is and what it's about. And if you don't, well then, go to Amazon or wherever you get your books and grab your copy of Bram Stoker's Dracula. And just as an added recommendation, you may as well go ahead and grab a copy of the movie as well. Now that I've given you this week's recommendation, let's take a trip down to open mic night at Beazel Pub. Welcome, fiends, to open mic night at Beazel Pub, where we invite you to sit right here and go into the more poetic side of fear. Poems of murder, creatures, and ghosts. All the things that scare you the most. Tonight at the pump is two stories from the one and only H.P. Lovecraft. The first finds his speaker talking about his love for outer space, until what he thought he was looking at all of a sudden changes into something horrific. And then a poem about love, and about loss, and about the sea. Let the Lovecraftian rhymes grip you like Cthulhu, and enjoy Astrophobos and the Bride of the Sea. In the midnight heavens burning, through the ethereal drops afar, once I watched with restless yearning, an alluring, aureate star. Every eve aloft returning, gleaming nigh the arctic car, mystic waves of beauty blended with the gorgeous golden rays. Fantasies of bliss descended, in the murder-lesion haze, in the Learborn chords extended, harmonies of Lydian lays. 
and thought I, lie scenes of pleasure, where the flea and blush dwell, and each moment bears a treasure, freighted with the lotos spell, and there bloats a liquid measure, from the lute of Israfel, there, I told myself, were shining, worlds of happiness unknown, peace and innocence entwining, by the crowned virtue's throne, men of light, their thoughts refining, purer, fairer than my own. Thus I mused when over the vision, crept a red delirious change, hope dissolving to derision, beauty to distortion strange, hymnic chords in weird collision, spectral lights in endless range, crimson burned the star of madness, as behind the beams I peered, all was woe that seemed but gladness, ere my gaze with truth was seared, cacodemons mirrored with madness, through the fevered flickering leered, now I know the fiendish fable, then the golden glittering boar. Now I shun the spangled sable, that I watched and loved before, but the horror set and stable, haunts my soul forevermore. Black loom, the crags of the uplands behind me. Darker the sands of the far stretching shore. Dimmer the pathways and rocks that remind me. Sadly of years in the lost nevermore. Soft flaps the ocean of wave polished boulder. Sweet is the sound and familiar to me. Here, with her head gently bent to my shoulder, walked I with Unda, the bride of the sea. Bright was the morn of my youth when I met her. Sweet is the breeze that blew over the brine. Swift was I captured in love's strongest fetter. Glad to be here, and she glad to be mine. Never a question asked I where she wandered. Never a question asked she of my birth. Happy as children, we thought not nor pondered. Glad of the bounty of ocean and earth. Once when the moonlight played soft mid billows, high on the cliff, over the waters we stood. Bound was her hair with a garland of willows plucked by the fount in the bird-haunted wood. Strangely, she gazed on the surges beneath her, charmed with the sound or entranced by the light. Then did the waves a wild aspect bequeath her, stern as the ocean and weird as the night. Coldly she left me, astonished and weeping, standing alone, mid the legions she blessed, down, ever downward, half gliding, half creeping, stole the sweet Unda, in oceanward quest. Calm grew the sea, and tumultuous beating turned to a ripple as Unda the fair. Trod the wet sands in affectionate greeting, beckoned to me, and no longer was there. Long did I pace by the banks where she vanished, high climbed the moon, and descended again. Gray broke the dawn, till the sad night was banished, still ached my soul with its infinite pain. All the wide world have I searched for my darling. Scoured the far desert and sailed distant seas. Once on the wave, while the tempest was snarling, flushed a fair face that brought quiet and ease. Ever in restlessness, onward I stumble, seeking and pining, scarce heeding my way. Now have I strayed, where the wide waters rumble, back to the scene of the lost yesterday. Lo, the red moon from the ocean's low hazes rises in ominous grandeur to view. Strange in its face, as my tortured eye gazes over the vast reaches of sparkle and blue. 
straight from the moon to the shore where I'm sighing, grows a bright bridge made of wavelets and beams. Frail it may be, yet how simple the trying, wandering from earth to the orb of sweet dreams. What is yon face in the moonlight appearing? Have I at last found the maiden that fled? Out on the beam bridge, my footsteps are nearing. Her, whose sweet beckoning, hastens my tread. Currents surround me and drowsily swaying. Far on the moon path, I seek the sweet face. Eagerly, hasting, half panting, half praying. Forward I reach for the vision of grace. Murmuring waters around me are closing. Soft the sweet vision advances to me. Done on my trials, my heart is reposing. Safe with my unga, the bride of the sea. Nothing like some Lovecraftian rhymes at the Pamba. Even in the stars, humanity cannot escape the demons, the ones waiting to prey upon your fear and prey upon your soul. And all he ever wanted was his unda, and in the end, that's what he got. The fact that he had to die to get her is irrelevant. At least, he has his unda, his bride of the sea. Now, let's leave the Pamba and the Lovecraftian themes and let's move into the final story of the night. The little feet are running. The little door is opening. It's time for us to enter the dollhouse. Tonight I have a different kind of creepy doll story for you. A Russian toy maker, just living with his wife and six daughters, is always trying to create toys that will bring joy to the children of the village. But oftentimes, his toys are horrific and very much not for children. He can only handle this rejection for so long before he finally snaps. What does his toy maker create next? What will the village think? Will the village survive? Settle in. Relax, ignore all the dolls around you, staring at you, and listen to The Doll Maker. My great-grandfather was always a quiet man. For a fellow who'd spent the first half of his life in the USSR, you'd expect him to have some stories. And maybe he did. He just never told any of them, except for one. Once in the 1980s, when I was laid off, thanks Reagan, I picked up the side hobby of repairing antique dolls. My great-grandfather absolutely hated this, which made things incredibly difficult as I was caring for him at the time. One day, I'd finally had enough of his complaining. Why? I demanded. What is your issue with dolls, prayed? He took a deep breath and looked me in the eye. You want to know why I hate those things so much? Yes. I pleaded. Please tell me. I want to understand. He took a deep breath. I have kept silent for so long, but you want to know, so you shall. He then raised his hand and wagged his finger at me, but I warn you, Duragawai, you will wish you had not asked. The story my great-grandfather told me 
is as follows. When my great-grandfather was young, he served in the militia for a tiny village. From what I can gather, it was a relatively peaceful place. The occasional theft was all the militia really had to deal with. That is, until the incident with the doll maker. On the outskirts of the village lived a man who made dolls and other toys for a living. My great-grandfather described him as a friendly but odd man with a wife and six young daughters. He was, I guess, an eccentric who was always trying to invent new kinds of toys and games for the village children. It sounds like he could never get it quite right and some of his creations wound up being the stuff of nightmares. He would take parts from a doll and use them to make trains. He would take out doll's eyes and fill their heads with brightly colored scarves that children could, in theory, pull out and play with. But none of his ideas really took off, as you might imagine. The doll maker became depressed. He grew increasingly despondent. Eventually, he started wandering around the village, demanding the children take his toys and play with them. He would scream and cry if they didn't. The militia almost had to run him out of town. One day, as my great-grandfather was making his rounds through the village, he was approached by the doll maker's wife. Sir, she said, you must help me. I don't know what to do about my husband. He frightens me. My great-grandfather couldn't help but smirk. He seems to frighten a great many people, he said, most of them children. You don't understand, said the woman, who apparently did not appreciate his attempted humor. Something is very wrong with him. He doesn't eat. He doesn't sleep. I have to force him to wash. And he goes about with a strange look in his eyes. He keeps muttering to himself, saying big and new. The children must have something big and new. And the way he looks at me, and at the children, I fear he may do something terrible. My great-grandfather now took her very seriously. According to him, she was nearly in tears now, and trembling. Is he violent towards you? He asked. No, she said, but I fear he may become so. Well, he said, you go straight home and tell him that if he does not come to his senses and stop behaving in such a strange manner, the village watch will have to come and pay him a visit. As the story goes, the dollmaker's wife looked skeptical, but thanked my great-grandfather nonetheless and hurried back home. It was at this point in the telling of the story that my great-grandfather paused. I watched in awe as a tear formed in his eye and rolled halfway down his cheek before he wiped it away. Never before had I seen this man cry. It was quite some time before he resumed his tale. The doll maker was almost never seen after that. He didn't come out to the village square like he normally did. It was clear that he hadn't left town, because the lights would be on in his home at night. But his shop never opened again after that. His wife and six daughters could still be seen in the village, running their daily errands, but even they disappeared after a while. Everyone assumed the dollmaker's wife had left him and taken the children. Other rumors began to swirl. Some people said the dollmaker went completely crazy. Others said he was praying to Satan for the return of his wife. No one knew for sure, of course, and any attempt to make contact with him was met with a curt, Go away. I'm busy. The villagers' curiosity about the dollmaker was just starting to die down when suddenly one day, he threw open his front door. His skin was pale and stretched thin over his bones. Heavy bags could be seen under his sunken eyes. He looked like a walking corpse. And yet the smile on his face could not have been bigger. With wide eyes and a croaking, hoarse voice, he ran through the streets and shouted, Matrioska! Matrioska! He reached the village square where a crowd had gathered 
There, he shouted to anyone within earshot, Matryoshka, at last. And then, according to my grandfather, the dollmaker fell to the ground and never moved again. It was confirmed soon afterwards that the man had died. The task fell, of course, to the village militia to enter the man's home to determine exactly what had happened. My great-grandfather said the first thing that hit them before they even went in was the smell. He knew that, whatever they were in for, it wasn't good. Still, nothing could prepare them for what they found. Upon entering his workshop, several questions were already answered at once. In case you didn't know, Matryoshka is a name for those Russian nesting dolls. The militia learned at once why this had been the doll maker's last word. And they also knew what happened to the man's wife and daughters. Well, that's certainly one way to show your creative side. Make Russian nesting dolls out of your family. Yes, yes. You may say he was clearly sick or twisted or fucked in the head. I just say he's an artist and doesn't need to explain his art to you, human. Shame he can't make any more, but I wonder if his nesting dolls are on Amazon. But now, I believe there's enough scares for this week. I hope you will join me again next week for more stories that are sure to keep you afraid during the day and awake at night. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the stories that I had for you tonight. And until next time. <laughs> Stay spooky.